Tune your ear to wisdom. Cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Project Philippians, a deep dive into one of the richest treasure mines in Scripture. I'm delighted to have you join me today for another excavation into an amazing 2,000-year-old book. Hey, my friend, super glad to have you back with me for another few moments in Philippians as we scour this book for the treasures that it holds. And I am convinced that we won't really ever find any of those treasures unless the Spirit of God reveals them to us. So let's start once again by asking him to do just that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for smiling as we sit down here in your presence with your your word open in our laps on our desk. I ask, Lord God, that you would do just that. You would inspire us. You would open our eyes, that you would direct us to the treasures that you have buried in this book so that we can know you better, love you better, and serve you better. In the name of our Savior Jesus, amen. All right, so today we are going to be wrapping up a theme that has been steadily developing in the first eight verses of this book. Um, I'm not sure if you've noticed it, but in, in all the verses that we've studied so far, there's been one underlying thematic element that has been intertwined through all of them. And that theme has to do with Paul's extraordinary relationship with the people in the church at Philippi. I think I've mentioned before that Paul had a, had a really special bond with, with these folks that was unlike his relationship with any other church. Uh, some say that Philippi was Paul's favorite church. And, and passages like, like this one, this introductory section of, of chapter one, that really seemed to bear witness to that. We've, we've listened as Paul has just gone on and on in gushing, joyful praise for, for the Philippians. Philippians and and for their friendship. If I were to try to paraphrase kind of the verses that we've read so far, it might go something like this, starting in verse three. I thank God every time I think about you. I pray about you all the time. Whenever I do, I pray with joy because of your fellowship and your partnership in spreading the gospel that's gone on ever since the very first day when I first met Lydia and the, and the Philippian jailer. And I am absolutely certain that what God has started in you, he will continue to perfect until the day we see Jesus with our own eyes. Now, I know you might not believe me, but it is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God is my witness, how I yearn and ache and long for all of you with the gut-wrenching love of Jesus Christ himself. What an amazing affirmation and celebration of this tremendous relationship that Paul has with these people, these saints in Philippi. And when I read it, I just am reminded, I think I mentioned last time how I feel like it's such a tragic void in so many Christians' lives, so many churches, where this type of connection and heartfelt relationship between 
brothers and sisters in Christ is just missing in so many lives, and it has just been devastating to the spiritual lives of so many people caught in the desert of isolationism and independence. So I'm reminded of how beautiful and glorious this type of relation can be. But I'm also saddened to think that some of you might not be experiencing this rich type of fellowship. So the question that I raised last time that I'd like to look at today is, where does this come from? What is this built on? What was the secret foundation or headwaters, the source of this river of love that was pouring out of Paul? Where was it born? And that's what we're going to look at today because Paul gives us a glimpse of that right here at the end of verse 7. And there he says, the reason that I have you in my heart is because whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. We're going to unpack that a little bit in the next few minutes. The, the key word here is that word share. It's actually in the Greek, a word soon koinonia. Now, you might remember back in verse 5, we met the word koinonia, which is often translated as fellowship. Uh, there, it's partnership. It's this communion that you can have with other people. But here in verse 7, he takes that word koinonia, and he, he kind of doubles down on it by adding this prefix, soon, soon koinonia. Uh, soon could probably be translated in English as, as co, co-sharers, co-participants. It's almost redundant. It's like he's saying, you are fellow fellowshippers with me. You are co-participants with me in the grace. He uses the same, the same word, soon koinonia, in uh, chapter 4, verse 14, where he says, it was good of you to be co-participants with me in my affliction or co-fellowshippers with me. You know, I've said before that I think oftentimes when we hear the word fellowship, we have pictures in our mind of sitting around tables at a potluck in the fellowship hall talking about sports and politics. That's clearly not what's in Paul's mind. In fact, it's remarkable that he says, you are fellowshipping with me, even though these people are hundreds of miles away from him. How can you have fellowship with somebody? Cross the miles. Well, you see, fellowship is not so much about shared proximity, but it is shared values. One definition I read of Sun Koinonia is it's a, that deep partnership of two going in the same direction or of being devoted to the same goal. It is two people or two groups that are striving for the same objective. And what specifically are they sharing in? In verse 7, it says, all of you share in God's grace with me. Actually, the word God there is supplied uh, by the translators. It's literally, all of you share in grace with me. So what is this grace that he's talking about? Of course, grace is a familiar word to any Christian. We, it's a, definitely a commonly used word of, by Paul. But there's two different ways that he uses that word. Sometimes he's talking about God's saving grace, like in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ Jesus. So it, it is the saving grace of God. But other times he uses the same word grace with a different meaning. It's really evident, for example, in Ephesians, like chapter 3, where he says, Surely you have heard about God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery, which is the gospel, that was revealed to me. 
Verse 7, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I'm the less of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he's talking about grace, not in saving grace, but God's gifting grace, his assignment grace, the grace of giving him the assignment of preaching the gospel to the world. But it's not just Paul who has received this grace of ministry, because in chapter 4, verse 7 of Ephesians, he says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ gave it out. He goes on to say that it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He's talking about the gifts, the spiritual gifts and ministries that Christ hands out are manifestations of his grace to us. He is giving us the privilege of serving with him side by side with the King of Kings in building the kingdom of God. That is God's grace, his gifting grace. So when we come to Philippians 1.7, we have to ask which type of grace is Paul saying that the Philippians are sharing in? Of course, both types of grace are true about them. They share in God's saving grace. But I believe that he's referring to God's gifting grace when he says, you are sharing with me in the grace. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is back in verse five, when he talked about their sharing, he said, you are sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. In Again, it could be in receiving the gospel, but I believe he's talking about how they're sharing in proclaiming the gospel and spreading the gospel. And I believe the same is true here in verse seven, because he says, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you are co-participants in this grace with me. So what I believe Paul is saying here to the Philippians is that they are knitted together with him in his heart because they are committed to the same grand commission that he is, that they are co-participants in spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are sold out on the same ambitious journey that Paul is. And so that connection is what puts them in his heart. So let's look at some specifics of how he describes this connection. He says, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. So in a sense, he's kind of saying, through thick and thin, you have stayed with me. You remember that Philippians is just kind of a thank you note because they had sent Epaphroditus to, to share with him some more financial gifts. And he, he tells them at the end of the book that, he, that they are unlike any other church, that they have been so faithful throughout all the years to, to share financially to support his ministry. They were the ones that originally gave him the money so that he could stop uh, making tents and could go full time in the ministry. And ever since, since from the beginning, first day until now, they have continued to share, to participate in, by giving him these gifts. He, in fact, he refused any other church to, to give him money uh, because he didn't want anybody to think that he was ministering for the money. And so he, he refused it for most churches. But for the Philippians, they just, they insisted and they prevailed upon him to 
to receive these gifts. And he's just so grateful for that. And so it is their financial commitment. But it's not just that. Uh, a few verses later in, in chapter one, Paul talks about their prayers for him. So they're prayer warriors for him. So they're, they are seeking God's favor on his behalf. And he says he can sense their prayers and knows that the, their prayers are effective in his ministry. And so they, they're participating. But also he says, in my chains, and in defending and affirming the gospel. So the chains, it refers to his imprisonment. Of course, he's writing from a prison in Rome, most people uh, believe, uh, perhaps Caesarea. In any case, he literally has chains around his ankles or or wrists. Uh, we, we saw this word chains way back in Acts 16, when we followed Paul and Silas through the city of Philippi, and they were arrested in a, in a, a riot and thrown into prison. And then an earthquake happened. And it said in verse 26, at all at once after the earthquake, the prison doors flew open and every, all the prisoners chains came loose. And so he had chains on his ankles in Philippi and he, and he has been no stranger to the same chains, these same imprisonments, um, several times since then. And throughout all, uh, the Philippians have stayed faithful to him. Now, other Jews, uh, when they heard about Paul in prison, they, they saw that as a sign of God's displeasure with Paul, God's lack of favor on him, but not the Philippians. They knew what, what Paul's heart was all about. And they knew that whether he was in prison or not, they wanted to support him. They wanted to pour out their love for him. They were on his side. So whether he was in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. Those words defending and confirming are both uh, legal terms. They're courtroom terms. They're the types of things that you would do when you're uh, making a case in court, which obviously Paul is waiting his, biding his time, waiting for his opportunity to make his case. If you go to the book of Acts, the, the word uh, defending or defense is used several times in the last few chapters of Acts because on at least three different occasions, Paul makes his case using the same word, he defending himself uh, against the accusations of the Jews. And there's three uh, speeches in chapters 22, 24, and 26. You can read those defenses that he gives. Interesting though, here he says, I'm not defending myself. It's not, I'm not making a case for myself to try to get my freedom. He's saying, I am defending and confirming the gospel. The word confirming isn't used quite as often, but one place that it is used is in Mark 16.20, the closing words of Mark's gospel, where we read that the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his words. There it is, the confirmed his words by the signs that accompanied it. So confirming means to, to prove or to strengthen or to establish. So Paul says, whether I am making a case and proving the gospel or whether I am stuck in chains and just biding my time waiting for the next opportunity to speak the word, both of these are part of the ministry that God has given me, the gift of God's grace that he's given me. And you, my friends, my dear friends in Philippi, are participating with me. In fact, I think it's not just the gifts and prayers that they've given him, but they are actually participating in the actions of defending and confirming the gospel. And probably also in the chains themselves. Remember, Paul was in chain, was in prison in Philippi because the 
majority of the city was absolutely opposed to what he was doing there. When he left after his short ministry there, one can only assume that there were probably many others who suffered in some of the same ways as prisoners for the gospel of Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, from the first day until now, you guys have been with me. You have shared with me. You've partnered with me. You see what I see as the most important thing in the universe. The most important objective of our lives is to build the kingdom of God. And you are right there with me. And so you are knitted in my heart and you are in my guts. (laughs) I titled this episode, Foxhole Fellowship or Frontlines Fellowship. Because if any of you have ever known a a veteran soldier, they will tell you that the friendships that are forged in the heat of battle are unlike any other relationships those soldiers have throughout the rest of their lives. They are the closest, most ferociously faithful, brotherly, loving friendships that can be experienced. And I think that Paul is saying the same sort of thing here. He's saying to the Philippians, you guys get it. You have been faithful to me on the front lines of the battle. You have been my stalwart partners at God's gracious assignment to proclaim freedom to those held captive by the enemy. We are on the same team fighting for the same prize, and that is why you are precious to me. So my friend, that's it. That's the secret to finding and acquiring life-changing friendships. It starts by realizing that the the primary purpose of life on earth is to love and serve our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And then it's just a matter of finding others with the same gut-level passion and locking arms with them, dropping to your knees with them, serving shoulder to shoulder with them. And I guarantee you that if you do, you will find your souls knit together inseparably in your mind, your heart, and your guts. That, my friend, is my prayer for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us into a place where we can serve next to you, serve in the establishment and development and growth of your kingdom of love and grace and beauty. Lord God, I thank you that you've invited us to be soldiers with you. And I pray for my friends who are listening right now that you would help them to find battle buddies that they can serve with, that they can cry with, that they can be honest with, and that they can lock arms with in this beautiful, gracious assignment of serving you. I pray that you would open up their hearts to become people of compassion and love for those around them, that they could be the ones that would spark this type of relationships in their home fellowships, in their churches, amongst their friends and family, that they would be the ones that would establish this type of love, this type of powerful, transforming affection for those around them, so that we can together serve you better in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's been an honor to have you spend this time with me, but don't let it end here. May the words of God continue to resonate in your heart and transform your life until the day you meet our glorious King and Savior face to face.